Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to two openings. Open to Ephesians chapter 1 and hold your place there. And then turn back where we were looking last week, the last couple of weeks, in fact, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So we will read Ephesians chapter 1 after we read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We were looking at these verses, and we will begin reading this morning in verse number 6. He said, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, as I pointed out in previous messages, and it would really uh, help you to have heard the others, but good news is they're still available. You can go online and listen to what has been said before. But we pointed out the fact that here twice, he talks about the rulers of this age. And in, in when he refers in verse number six and in verse number eight here about the rulers of this age, he is not talking about the civil rulers uh, of the natural world. He wasn't talking about uh, Caesar. He wasn't talking about talking about Herod or Agrippa or any of the natural rulers. He's not talking about the natural rulers in the world today in, in civil government. He's talking about, and you can see what he's talking about. Hold your place here and go over to Ephesians and look at the... Uh, <clears throat> Look at chapter six, there's several places we could go, but look at chapter six in verse number 12 to get an idea of what he's talking about when he talks about the rulers of this age. He said in verse number 12, for we do not, we do not wrestle against, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So going back over to Ephesians or, or to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's not talking about natural rulers or rulers of men in the sense of government and so forth. He's talking about the spiritual rulers, the dark world of spiritual ungodliness and the spirits that operate and rule over men spiritually. And so he said in verse number, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 6, that we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The spiritual rulers of this age promote a wisdom, the wisdom of this age. And it is not God's wisdom. It is contrary to the Bible. It defies God. It defies Christ. And he said, that's not what we're preaching. That's not what we're speaking. He said, <coughs> excuse me, that those of us who are mature, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, 
the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now we know that men crucified Christ, but men were moved on by the, the rulers of the darkness of, the, of this age to crucify Christ. In fact, Herod, if you remember, Herod wanted to turn Jesus free. He wanted to turn him loose. He said, this man's done nothing worthy of death. But the devil so inspired the people of that generation that they demanded that Herod deliver him up to be crucified. So it was the spirit that was working behind the scenes. But Paul goes on to say, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now we pointed this out when it talks about the hidden wisdom, this word uh, hidden wisdom, this, this phrase hidden wisdom, it comes from the Greek word mysterion, which we get the English word mystery from. But the English word mystery implies information withheld. It implies something that cannot be known. But in the New Testament, the word mystery implies something that was hidden but has now been revealed. And so he talks about the hidden wisdom. Go over with me, hold your place here and go over to Ephesians again and look at the third chapter, Ephesians chapter three. You're still holding Ephesians chapter one, aren't you? <laughs> Glory to God. How many fingers do I have, pastor? Amen. In uh, Ephesians chapter three, verse number one, Paul said, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you will understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now notice, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. This hidden wisdom was not revealed to mankind during the days of the Old Testament. There was a plan, there was a, 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 a wisdom of God, something that God had ordained for our day. When I talk about our day, I'm talking about the day of the church, beginning from the beginning of the church up until now, until Jesus returns, that there was a wisdom and certain information that God had hidden from mankind in time past. It was not available in the Old Testament. But during the days of the New Testament, Paul goes on to say that the Spirit of God revealed this to him and to other apostles and prophets and that they made this wisdom known to men. Now notice what he says about this wisdom. He said, in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. I'm reading verse five. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Notice that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. Now that's very interesting. The body of Christ. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The mystery that was hidden from, from generations past was that God was gonna do something in Christ that would in make it would be available to even not only to the Jew, but to the Gentiles, and that all men would be equal partakers, joint partakers, joint heirs. 
You know what a joint heir is? A joint heir is an equal heir. We are joint heirs with Christ. That means everything he did, everything he accomplished, and everything that belongs to him, everything that is his by right is ours by right because we are joint heirs with him. The book of Romans says, here I think it says joint partakers, same thing. We are joint heirs with Christ. That was what the, the wisdom and the mystery was all about. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter two again. He said, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, very often we read this, and I have over the years, just growing up in church, it was presented this way, that if the devil had known that Jesus was gonna be raised from the dead, he would never have inspired the, uh, the Jews of that generation and the Romans. He would never have pushed to have Jesus crucified if he had known Jesus was gonna be raised from the dead. But see, that's only an element. That's only part of the picture. You know, we can rejoice over part of the picture because part of the picture is good but the whole picture's better. You listening to me? Part of the picture's good, but the whole picture is better. Let's not get overly excited about part of the picture and leave off the rest of the picture because it's all good and it's all important. Amen. When you think about it this way, it wasn't so much that Jesus was gonna be raised from the dead that the, the rulers of the spiritual rulers of this age didn't understand that he would be raised from the dead. Had they known he would have been raised from the dead, they wouldn't have crucified him. That's really not the point. He was already alive. Oh, we can't kill him. If we kill him, he'll come back to life. Oh no, well, he's already alive. What are your options? He's alive either way. It wasn't just that Jesus was gonna be raised from the dead it was the fact that in his death, burial, and resurrection, the route to his being raised from the dead was the total defeat of the enemy, that he totally put the enemy down. Amen. We read last week, we don't have time to go over today over in Colossians, how it says that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now go over with me to, uh, you're still holding Ephesians 1, aren't you? We'll get there. Go over with me to Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews chapter two. Glory to God. Verse 14, it is much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same now notice, this is what the rulers of this world, this is what the spiritual uh, host of darkness, this is what they didn't understand. That through death, he might destroy him, and we found out that that doesn't mean to annihilate or, or to make non-existent, but it means to render him powerless. That he might render him powerless who had the power of death, whoo, 
glory. Now that's a bigger part of the picture, isn't it? Not just that Jesus would be raised from the dead, but that he would totally defeat the enemy. That's, that's another part of the picture, but that's not the whole picture either. We're getting more of the picture, but that neither one of those it, it w- would be the complete picture. We can rejoice in both of those, but there's more. He said that through death, he might render him powerless, that is the devil, who had the power of death, now notice, and, verse number 15, and release those who through the fear of death, or like I like to say it, the terror of death, and release those who through the terror of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's us. So it wasn't just that Jesus was raised from the dead. It wasn't just that the devil was defeated, but that we who were in bondage were released from bondage. Oh my goodness. There's more to it than you realize. This is bigger than you think it is. Glory to God. And release those who through the terror of death, the reign of spiritual death, spiritual death held humanity in its sovereign grip. And the devil had the authority of death. And no man could escape. No man could come out. But when Jesus came out of the grave, glory to God. He said, I am he who was alive and dead and now I'm alive again and I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of hell and of death. He took those keys. He took that authority back from the devil and he opened up the prisons of death. Glory to God. And released us who through the terror of death, the reign, that cruel reign of spiritual death, were all our lifetime from birth to death. Every man was always in the absolute, under the absolute control and in the chains and the grip of that death. And Jesus released us. Ooh, glory. Hallelujah. What does that mean? Well, let's go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter two again on our way to Ephesians 1. 1 Corinthians chapter two. Now I want you to pay real close attention to something. I'm gonna ask you a question. Verse number six, let's read six through eight again. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Moffat's translation calls them the dethroned rulers of this age. Verse seven, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let's let's go ahead and read a little bit more before I ask you the question. Verse number nine, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this is a quotation from the Old Testament. And the reason I had not seen nor ear heard, the reason it had not entered into the heart of man, the things God had prepared for those who believe was because it was hidden from men. 
You following me? It was a hidden wisdom. It was not revealed to the sons of men. Therefore, eye hadn't seen, ear hadn't heard. It didn't, no one in the Old Testament perceived the glory that's been made available to us. None of the prophets of the Old Testament understood what we have today. They didn't see it. They didn't know what was coming. Verse 10. See, if you just read verse nine, some, and I heard, I heard somebody say that, a, a statement similar to this. It's based on this, this misunderstanding of this verse. But I heard somebody this week say, well, you just never know what God's gonna do. You know, you just never know what God's gonna do. And, they, and, they, and that's loosely based on this idea, well, it's just never entered into the heart of man. You know, eyes not seen or ear heard. No, that's, that, that's an Old Testament fact. But... Verse 10 says, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now the mystery that was hidden from generations past, from, from millennia past, from, from the Old Testament, the, that mystery, that body of truth, that reality of what Jesus was gonna do when he was raised from the dead, what would happen, how the enemy would be defeated, how we would be delivered from the hand of the enemy. That information, those facts were not revealed but then Paul said, and we read it in Ephesians chapter three, he said, but the spirit has revealed those things to the apostles and prophets. Well, what did they do with that information? They wrote it down. It's called the New Testament. It's called the epistles. You don't find this information even in the gospels. You find it in the epistles. Remember when Jesus, right before he went to heaven, he said, I have still a lot of things to say to you, but you're not able yet. You can't receive it. You can't, you can't grasp it right now. Well, why was that? It's because number one, they weren't born again. Number two, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. He said, you can't handle what I wanna tell you. But when the Spirit comes, he will take the things I heard, I heard Mark Hankins say this and it's so good. He, he said, the epistles contains all of those things that Jesus left here unsaid. The epistles contain those words, those truths that Jesus left here unsaid, unrevealed. That's good, isn't it? But they were, they were revealed by the apostles and prophets. They were written here. But Paul said, we still have to get the understanding of it by the Spirit. Isn't that right? But God has revealed them to us through the spirit. He goes on to say, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man, but we have received not the spirit of the world, verse number 12, but the spirit which is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Even though it's been written in the in the text of the New Testament. There's nothing I'm sharing, there's nothing I have that's not right here in the New Testament. But it's getting an understanding of those things. Having the Holy Spirit take these truths and open these truths to our heart where we see the magnitude of it. Where we actually see and understand and it, we have this phrase or this, 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 uh, this term, it dawns on us. You ever had something dawn on you? It's like, oh yeah, there's an oh yeah moment coming. 
I'm telling you, there's an oh yeah moment coming for you. Glory to God. And it's bigger than the oh yeahs you've seen up until now. Oh, glory to God. Now I'm gonna ask you this question. What was it, verse number eight, what was it that the rulers of this age did not know? Tell me. Based on this passage right here, verse six, verse seven. What was it that the rulers, you know this is a trick question. I'm setting you up, but go ahead, somebody be bold and speak it up. What is, what is, huh? What is the, 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 what is it that the rulers did not know? Say it again. Somebody else, can, can somebody confer? You're all chicken, I know. Yeah, she said it right here. Notice what he said. Verse number eight, listen, verse number eight says, which none of the rulers of this age knew. What did they not know? Go back to the previous verse. The hidden wisdom which God ordained for our glory. Not just the wisdom, not just the, it wasn't that they just didn't know the wisdom. They didn't know the wisdom which God had ordained for our glory. That's the part they didn't see. That's the part the devil didn't see. It wasn't that Jesus was gonna be raised from the dead. It wasn't even that he would be, that the devil would be defeated, but that it was done for us, for our glory. That's the part that the rulers of this, of this age did not get. They didn't get it. <clears throat> they didn't see it. Had the devil known what God was gonna do in Christ for humanity, for the church, if the devil had known what God was gonna do for the church, he'd have never gone through with it. Glory to God. Woo, hallelujah. This is the wisdom that God is trying to reveal to the church. You say, well, he's already revealed it. Yeah, it's in the New Testament, but it has to come. You have to get the understanding of it down on the inside. It has to go off on the inside of you or you'll never act on it. It'll just be a creed. It'll just be a, 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 a truth, a body of something that you've been taught. But until you see it, down here, you'll never rise up, but when you see it, oh, glory to God. And this is what the devil doesn't want you to see. This is what the Holy Spirit has been endeavoring to reveal to the hearts of believers ever since these words were penned. It's been available. It's right here in the book. But you see, if you don't approach the book in prayer, if you don't approach the book with a seeking heart, because you want to know, you want to understand. You don't want it to just be words. You don't want it to just be a, 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 a theme of something that we just sing about and we, and we don't really think about. If you, if you approach the word of God with hunger, saying, God, show me what it is you're trying to say to me. You ever had somebody try to tell you something and you, and you thought, I can tell by your attitude there's more than what I'm getting here. Say it again. Say, I'm trying to understand. You ever been there? God's trying to get us to understand some things. Oh, amen. Put that, are y'all awake back there on the slide? Put that up. 
Put the second song up we sang today. I just want to illustrate something. Put the second song up. He's alive, Is it, was that it? Put he's alive up. That, that right there. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive with all power in his name. Jesus is not using his name. Jesus is not sitting on the throne saying, in my name. Jesus isn't sitting on the throne and saying, in the name of Jesus, such and such. You want to step on your new shoes here. <laughs> He's alive, but all power is in his name for us. He's not just alive with all power. He's alive and there is all power in his name. Can you see the subtlety of what gets left out? Oh, glory to God. We, that's, there was other parts. You can just stop right there. I don't want to take any more time with that. We sing about the resurrection. Christians come to church. They flock to churches on, on Easter Sunday. And we sing about he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Yes, that's wonderful. He is. But we were made alive with him. He, he was raised up. We were raised up with him. It's better than that. Now we'll finally get to Ephesians chapter one. It's just been sitting there waiting on us. Ephesians chapter one. Oh, hallelujah. Verse number, let's start in verse number 15. Whoo, glory. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to pray, to give thanks for you, that is, making mention of you in my prayers, now, this is something that the Apostle Paul prayed. He prayed this prayer for the church at Ephesus. That was an actual group of believers living in the city of Ephesus. But this was given by the inspiration of God, so it doesn't just belong to the church at Ephesus. It belongs to the church right here in High Springs. It belongs to the church right here at Impact. It belongs right here, the church right here in, in, in whatever church you belong to, wherever you're from because it's given to the church. He said, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice this is something that has to be given. And it's something that has to be received. You could say it like this, this is not automatic. This is, believers are not automatically in possession of the spirit of, of, of wisdom and revelation. I'll say that again. Believers are not automatically in possession of the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge. If they were, he wouldn't have prayed that God give it to us. Some people say, well, God's given us everything in redemption. Well, in theory, yes. In position, Yes. But in practicality, in everyday living, some things are not gonna be given until you ask for them. He said, I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. What does that mean? The eyes of your heart your spiritual understanding. We 
have to be enlightened. If we're going to have and, and enjoy everything that God's done for us, we're gonna have to have the eyes of our heart, our spiritual understanding enlightened. And that is not automatic just because you're born again. It comes as a result of prayer. Paul prayed it for this, for this church at Ephesus, but they would have to pray it too. They would have to get an agreement with him. They would have to also desire this. Well, we have to desire this. We have to pray for this. If you're gonna see and comprehend everything that God's done for you, you can't just come to church once a week and just sit here for an hour and think you have it all. You've gotta seek God. You've got, to be, you've got to be hungry to know more. He said, I'm praying that, you, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. There is, a, there is such a glorious inheritance available to you. It, 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 an inheritance isn't something you work for. You don't work for an inheritance. An inheritance is something that somebody gives you. And it's, it's the fruit of their effort and they just give it to you. We have an inheritance. We have some things that belong to us as Christians and God's trying to get it across to us so that he wants us to, to, to agree with him and begin to ask for this spirit of wisdom and revelation to be given to me, to you, each one of us, so that we'll understand the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? This power, his great power is toward us who believe. He goes on to say, he goes on to describe this, this power that is directed toward us. It's available, one translation says available to us. This exceedingly great power that we're about to read about here has been made available. In fact, it's put on deposit for the church. It's been put on deposit for the church. It's been put on deposit for you. It's available to you. It is toward you. The, the power that God exercised when he raised Jesus from the dead wasn't just directed at Christ. Yes, he had to raise him from, there was power that raised Jesus from the dead, but that power was really directed at us. The uh, Moffat's translation says, it's a power which operates with the strength of the might which he exerted in raising Christ from the dead. The strength of the might that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead is toward us. Jesus wasn't the ultimate person that God was looking at when he raised him from the dead. He wasn't the, 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 the real object here. He not only wanted to raise Christ from the dead, but in raising him from the dead, he was interested in raising us from the dead. 
Why do you think Jesus went to the cross so he could be raised from the dead? He was already alive. Like I've said before, why did he come to planet earth? So that he could be exalted at the father's right hand? He was already exalted. Go over to Colossians. Hold your place here. We don't get too far from Ephesians 1. Colossians 1 verse 15 talking about Christ, says he is the image of the invisible God, the first, firstborn over all creation. Now notice what it says about Jesus. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth. What does it say in John 1, the gospel of John? In the beginning was the word and the word's with God and the word was God. All things which were created were created by him. Isn't that right? He's talking about Jesus here again, same thing. By him, by Christ, all things that, that, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things exist. So why in the world would Jesus wanna come here just so that he could be exalted to the Father's right hand far above principalities and powers? He was already ahead of those things. He was already over those things. He came here to bring many sons to glory. He came here to take us with him. Now go back to, to Ephesians. Oh, glory. He said, I'm wanting you to get this spirit of wisdom and revelation. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? It's, it's power that's toward us. It's not just reserved for God. It's power that's toward us who believe. And it's according to the working of the mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and. We always, we always stop right there when we talk about the power that God exerted when he raised him from the dead. But it says the power that he exerted when he raised him from the dead and. There was power involved in raising Jesus from the dead, but that power went further than just raising him from the dead. It seated him at his right hand. What does he say here? Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion The very things he created, the thrones and dominions and lordships and all of the, 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 the various realms of the thought, he created all that in the beginning. But he humbled himself, became a man, humbled himself even to the point of the cross, taking upon men, taking upon himself the, the sins of man, submitted to death, spiritual death as well as physical death and through that oh glory to God he stripped the devil 
of all of his authority, of all of his power, of all of his might. And God raised, see that same power was working. When God raised him from the dead, there was, there, all of the might of God was involved. The throne of God, everything in heaven was, was behind him being raised from the dead and his being seated victoriously again where he had been before. But it took power to get him there. Now, why does God want us to see? Why does he want us to have a revelation? Just so that we'll see what happened to Jesus? Notice, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now here is, this next verse is one of the most misunderstood, I, I should say, uh, it, it's one of the most shallowly, or I, if that, it's not even a word, but it's the, it's the most least, least understood verse in the Bible. It's so significant. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church. Now, most commentators, and I have, you know, quite a few sets of commentaries. I read a lot, you know, of what other people write, church leaders. Most commentary simply interpret this, the latter part of this verse is that God gave Jesus to be the head of the church. And they just, lock, they just drop it right there. That's what this is saying, that God gave Jesus to be the head of the church. Now listen to me, hold on here, go back to Philippians chapter, 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 hallelujah. Yeah, chapter one again. Verse number 18. And he, we, we, we read this minute ago, but we stopped in verse 17. He is before things and all things, and in him all things consist. Verse number 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the body. He's the head, we're the body. The body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. And it goes on to say that in all things, he must have the preeminence. Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the Lord. He's the one we worship. He's the one we sing to. He's the one we, we, we adore and thank God for, for Jesus. That's what all this, this is. It's that, this says all of that. He is the head of the church. But go back to Ephesians chapter one. In verse 22, most commentators just interpret this as saying that he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of the church. And that is not what he's saying in Ephesians 1, 22. That is not, it's true because we read it in Colossians. Jesus is the head of the church. We're not taken away from that. That's a marvelous truth. He is the head of the church and in all things, he has the preeminence. We worship him. We don't worship one another. We worship Jesus. 
So that's a true thing. That's just not what he's saying in Ephesians 1.22. Notice it says, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Let me, like I said, almost all commentators interpret it this way, but let me read to you this from, this is from the Expositor's Commentary, <clears throat> volume 11. Expositor's Commentary says this. He said, we might have expected the apostle to explain here as elsewhere, like over in Colossians, that as head over everything, Christ is the head of his body, the company of believers. But that is not how he puts it. Instead, he said that Christ, in his exaltation over the universe, is God's gift to the church. He is the head over every power and authority and as such is bestowed on the church. There is given to the church and for the church's benefit a head who is also head over all things. The church has authority and power to overcome all position because her leader and head is Lord of all. See, the point here in Ephesians 1.22 is not that God gave Jesus simply to be the head of the church, but that God raised Jesus up far above all principality, power, might, and dominion and gave him a name which is above every name. Not only in this age, but in that which is to come, and put all things under his feet. Now, what are the all things that were put under his feet? Well, it gave him to be, let me ask you this. He gave him to be head over all things. Now, we understand that Christ is the head of the church. But what he's saying here is that he's head of something else. What is he head of? He is head of all things. He, he is head over all things. All things are under his feet. Well, what are all those things? All principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that's named. All the forces of darkness. Every name in the universe that can ever be named. His name has been placed above anything that can ever be spoken. Here's the thing now, follow me. And in that capacity as being head over all things, he was given to the church. Do you see the difference? He wasn't given just to be our head. He's the head of everything. And in the capacity, in the sense that he's head of everything, in that role, he's been given to us as a gift. Oh, glory to God. In other words, he was, he was made head over all things. Principalities, power, might, dominion, all, he was made head over all things for the benefit of the church, not for his own benefit. And he was given to the church as this one who absolutely reigns over all the universe 
And, and, and embodying all of that, he was then given to the church as a gift. Oh, glory to God. As our Lord. Hallelujah. See, we were raised up with him. We were seated with him. If you read on down in, in, in the second chapter of Ephesians here, verse number six, raised us up together and made us sit together. Well, when he was seated, we were seated. We're, if we're seated with him and he's seated above all these things and we're seated with him, and he's seated above all these things and we're seated with him. Are you getting that? Then we're above all these things. Absolutely. That's where we're sitting. That was the gift that God gave to us. He gave us one who has conquered all things. He's our gift. Yes, he's the head of the church, but he's head of everything. Oh, glory to God. Woo! Oh, thank you, Jesus. When that goes off on the inside of you, you will not be able to sit in that chair, I'm telling you. Glory to God. <sighs> Hallelujah. Let me just, I'm running out of time here because we want to get to communion. Mm. Go, go to uh, Philippians chapter one. It's another verse that talks about this exalted name. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Therefore, verse number nine, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. That's every realm. Heaven, earth, and hell. There's not any other realm out there. It covers it all. Glory to God. God has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. That every name should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now the reason it says that they should. Notice it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Do you see that? The reason for that is right now, right now, every knee is not required to bow. He said of beings, of those, that is those beings in heaven, those beings on earth, and those beings under the earth. Not every being will willingly bow its knee to Jesus right now. That is of its own volition, on its own, of its own will. Thank God I did. Thank God you did. You willingly bowed at the name of Jesus. But a lot of people refuse to do that. And God, God, will elect, God will allow them for a time to persist in that. But there's coming a day. There is coming a day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. But right now, it's on the matter, it's on, it's on a basis of free will. But let me tell you the knees who have already bowed. Not just believers. When Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, he made an open show of them. 
Their knees are bowed against their will, but their knees, listen. The reason it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow is because in this age right now, in the age of grace in which we're living, it's up to us to use that name. At, that at, everybody say the word at. That at, it didn't say that in the name of Jesus. That's kind of vague, that in the name of Jesus. No, it says that at the name of Jesus. You and I have the right and the authority to invoke that name where principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, wicked spirits and high, in other words, the devil and his cohorts, where our lives are concerned. Now there's coming a time when everybody's gonna bow. But, and we can't make everybody bow to the name of Jesus, but the devil has to bow when you speak that name. At, at, at the name of Jesus. Glory to God. When the enemy comes against you, you say, no, sir. When you use the, too often Christians use the name of Jesus like it's a, a rabbit's foot or something. I just keep this rabbit's foot in my, in my pocket here. You know, I'll, I'll be okay. You know, I'll be lucky. Christians too often, just, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. What we don't realize when we speak that name, we're saying, we're saying in his name and by his authority. In fact, Jesus said this. Oh, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I just can't stop. He said, in my name, you will demand your rights and I will do it. John 14. In my name, you will demand and I will do it. Whenever you speak the name of Jesus in faith, that is when you understand what you're doing, when you understand that name has been given to you and at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. And you speak that name over your circumstance, you speak that name over the devil, you speak that name over your family, over your finances, over whatever it is the enemy's trying to bring up in your life. When you speak that name and you do it in faith because you know that Jesus said, you speak it, and I'll do it. You're putting, Jesus takes it as his own action. It's just as though Jesus himself did it. Glory. At the name of Jesus, every knee. Now see, I don't speak the name of Jesus where it doesn't belong. I don't speak the name of Jesus where it doesn't have any authority. I can't speak the name of Jesus over a sinner and command him to get right with God. I can't do it. It's his right to not be. He doesn't want to be saved, he doesn't have to be. But the enemy starts treading on my life and my goods and my house and my body. I've been redeemed. I said, no, in the name of Jesus and by his authority, you're not doing this. Nobody, you're not gonna act this way. You're not gonna be sick. I'm not gonna be broke. Not gonna be under the devil's thumb any longer. Jesus said, you say it, I'll do it. It's, I mean, it's his name and, and he are one and the same. Oh, glory to God. Woo, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We better stop. We're gonna have to have communion here. Whew, glory to God. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Lord. God is, God, there is so much available to us. And it's available at the speaking of his name in faith. When you speak it in faith, glory to God. Why? Because everything in the heavenly realm has been submitted to him. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, let's just stand up for just a minute. Stretch a little bit. Think about it a little bit. Rejoice in it a little bit. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Whoo, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Never been a name like that name. No other name in the universe compares to that name. And we've been given the right to use that name. Whoo, glory to God. We have one who has been given to us as a gift, who is above all things. Glory to God. By his conquest of the enemy, by his defeat of the devil, glory to God. He rules and reigns through the church who know how to use his name. The church who knows how to use his name. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ramen Mandarin Gredids Deria Prophela Deridoasta. In this day, in this time, in this hour, the name of the Lord Jesus reigns supreme over all. It is not for a time to come, and it is not something that only existed in the past. In this day, in this hour, in the day of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ruling and reigning through and by the church, his name is supreme. His name rules along with Jesus as Lord over all. So rise up. Stop sitting back and letting the enemy run over you but rise up in the authority that has been given to Jesus and made available to you for you share in that authority and take that hallowed name and speak it in faith and watch demons and all of the host of darkness fall and tremble And see victory arise right out of what looks like the ashes of defeat. See your place as a son of God. See your place as seated together with him. See your place. Begin to act from that place of authority. Not as one who would beg and plead with the enemy and even beg and plead of God but one who knows his rights and privileges and authority in Christ and simply takes his place. Ha! Huh. And you'll see victory 
like you've never known before. You'll see the triumph that God ordained for you to walk in. You'll see those doors just pop open. You'll see those situations change. You'll see circumstances bow their knee at the mention of that name. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.